Oh, there we are. Leighton, what's going on? How are you, Jeremy? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to anybody who has uh, joined us on a uh, somewhat impromptu Friday night show. You just got back from Florida and you had a road trip. You went you went professional treasure hunting. Can't I wait did. to hear the story. And uh, we thought, hey, let's just uh, let's just go live and, and have some conversation. I, I didn't even run the intro video. No announcements, really. We're just going to we're just going to get started and talk about it uh i sent i've sent the link to our good friend danny black let's see if he wants to join us uh, i see he's read it i don't know if he's if he's going to be able to join us or not but but we will see uh oh there we go jake doll in the house what's going on jake good to see you the storage room nice to see you hello to you so um i'm also gonna Leighton. i'm gonna run this on the ticker right there so people can know where to follow oh, you sure. and of course listen to your podcast trading card therapy i listen i listened to the beginning of your most recent one and i love how you go this is trading card therapy my name is leighton sheldon i'm the doctor <laughs> you know sometimes depending on the day right i mean jeremy you do a lot of shows yourself it's like what mood are you are you in what are you feeling uh, yeah and so certainly from being back in florida and seeing a lot of stuff um, and then just a few weeks prior, I guess I was in Disney in a different part of Florida with my son in Orlando. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of feeling like maybe getting a secondary, uh, driver's license for the state of Florida at this point. <laughs> there you go. So you, so I, I put on the, on the thumbnail for this show, I said it was a road trip to it was. Florida. It, it was. was, you drove. Oh no, excuse me. I did not drive. It's funny okay. because in college, Jeremy, a road trip meant exactly what you think it is, yeah. which is you pack up a car, whether it be you have clean clothes or not, it's kind of irrelevant, and you just go. Fast forward, when you get a little bit older and you're early 40s, road trips mean a little bit something different in business. And so for me, I flew down there, but I did drive, uh, and we'll talk about it in a few, um, you know, a good bit from place to place. And uh, it was certainly interesting. But no, I did fly down, but I flew out of a different location flying back. Got it. Because I was actually when I when I put together the the thumbnail for this episode, I was like googling images for like road trip, and one came on New York to Florida. So I saw that one, and then I thought, but he's in New Jersey. So I I, I googled road trip New Jersey to Florida. Something came up, and I you know with the dots along the of the yeah, east coast. Yeah, no, of course. I, I was getting oh look who's joined us. Danny Black is there. Let's uh let's bring Danny on. Like this is totally casual, Absolutely. impromptu, Danny. You had no idea you were coming on a show tonight up up until a minute ago. He would have shaped. I, I was actually setting up a scream yard for another show, so it worked out perfect. Well, right. great. Okay. So, yeah, we're we uh, we're gonna we're doing a special Friday episode here. I, I I brand the Friday shows hobby hangout because for me, I don't I just this is no pressure on me to to you know run an interview. This is just chit chat. Uh, and I said to Layton. That I showed him these cards. I said, "Do you know what these are?" Danny Black sent this to me. Do you know Danny Black? He goes, "Yeah, we're we're pals." So I thought, well, and then it dawned on me. Let's uh, let's see if Danny wants. And I saw you were live on Instagram, so I shot you over over the link. We got a few people who've joined us. Let's just welcome them very quickly. Tyler, good to see you. What's Diamond up? card collector, bonkers cards. Welcome to the show. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah and and uh, contender. Yeah. Good evening. Gordy. Good evening. What's happening, fellas? I mean, Danny, you know, Leighton just got back from his Florida trip, so we were going to talk about that. But what's going on with you? Well, nothing. I've been seeing uh, all the stuff he's been buying on social media, and I'm jealous. Well, tell us a bit about it, Leighton. How was the trip? And uh, yeah, why don't you just launch into it? Tell us a bit about the trip. And and what I did put, Leighton, on the description for this was, you know, we're going to kind of tell us, like, how do you plan for it when you go on a buying trip? How do you plan for it? Some of the people you meet, some of the cards you picked up. Tell us about the trip. Sure. So uh, first and foremost, appreciate you uh, joining us, Danny. It's a lot of fun. This definitely feels like a different vibe, Jeremy, than the Saturday. Like, hey, we have a regimented, you know, uh, Leighton, I know you love to talk, but please, please, for the love of God, fit in with this this time frame. And today is a little bit nicer and more free. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity, Jeremy. And it's cool that Danny could join us. Um, so, you know, you kind of tell me the direction you want me to take. I could be, you know, loose. I could give you some serious stuff about, you know, the, the trip. Meaning, I want everyone to understand, just like anything else in life, right? Like, when you look at things from a distance, and I appreciate you saying what you said before, Danny, people are like, wow, late, you live the life. You're going to Florida. 
you're buying cards. I mean, like, you know, this has got to be the best thing in the world. And the thing is, just like anything else that's worth it in life, you get out of it what you put into it. So no one sees the preparation, you know, behind it. No one sees the gentleman, uh, which was the major collection we brought down there, that I was corresponding with for a couple months, working hard on his evaluation, his estimates, making sure candidly I wasn't going to go down there and have it be, you know, uh, an unfruitful experience uh, as far as purchasing cards, right? It'd still be a great trip to Florida. Um, and then, of course, no one talks about the budget. Like, hey, Leighton, did you, how'd you get the leads? Did you spend any money in advertising? So a lot of people just look at it much in the way someone who's driving, let's say, like a nice car. Like, wow, that, you know, that person has it all. They're driving a really nice car. But the reality of it is, whether it be sacrifice for years, decades, um, you know, or, or anything in between, uh, it, it definitely takes a lot more work, um, at least from my standpoint. In other words, if you were just working for yourself, if you were just trying to make enough to feed yourself, right, um, and you had no overhead, you're living in mom's basement or, you know, you're living on cousin Billy's couch, it doesn't really matter. Like, even if you fly to Florida and you don't get a deal, you're like, who cares? I'm staying with my friend Mark. I'm not really spending any money. I got free even flyer miles. And eh, you know what? Like, it's, it's not going to cost that much. I would love to do that. But as we were joking just a few minutes ago, this is not a road trip I'm taking like I was in college. And I enjoyed going on those thoroughly to Penn State, to Ithaca, to Cornell. I mean, really, like, Virginia, all over the place. And those were amazing. But those, like, the way Danny just came on, that was the way that I used to go on road trips. You mentioned you mentioned Cornell. Isn't that where Andy Bernard went to college? I'm not sure, but a girl I used to date, Jen, did, and I'm sure of that. Andy or, and my wife went to Ithaca. So small world, really good buddy of mine, Matt, went to Ithaca. And isn't it such a cool area? It, it my one of my best friends went up there, and it was where I went to my first uh, major foods chain that starts with a W that I fell in love with. Very cool. You, you don't know who Andy Bernard is? I do not. From the office. From the office. Ed Helms from the office. Yeah. Okay. Now I know. He's very proud to have gone to to Cornell. Yeah. So I'm curious, Leighton, like how do you line up leads? If you're gonna if you're gonna plan to go to Florida for a buying trip, how far in advance do you need to start finding leads? How do you how do you generate those without give maybe you don't want to give away your trade secrets and I'd understand that, but what can you tell us about that? I, I was always sure. curious about that. Well, sure. So here's the thing. For the very low price of $199.95, I will give you my secrets. All you have to do is just sign up for my email list uh, at the conclusion of today's video. And, you know, you'll get a package and we're going to give you classes. And I was obviously trying to run with it because I've seen a lot of that going around. And, and please, I don't want to disrespect anyone's business. If you feel that that's a good business for you and you're qualified, then God bless. Um, but I've been seeing it in cards and that's a little bit different than I'm accustomed to. I've seen it across, of course, you know, different uh, business disciplines, but not that much in cards up until recent. Um, and so to try to answer your question directly, uh, very carefully. So, you know, I can talk about this in a way where I don't feel like I'm giving away my trade secrets because that would be like saying like, well, how does an auction house get their material? I mean, very carefully, right? Some people just bring it to them. Sometimes they go to card shows, other times they hit the road, but there's not one thing they do that allows them to run their auction. Uh, there's a lot of things they do. So, the number one thing that I try to do if I'm going to do a big trip, meaning I'm getting on a plane, I'm going to be out of town for a few days, is one, um, I am trying to make sure that it's financially worth it. And so generally, if you see, uh, you know, my name associated with some sort of trip that's non-vacation, it's because I generally have at least one, if not several, really good leads. And a good lead for the audience who's watching is probably going to be at least a spend for me of minimum five figures, but I'm obviously hoping it's not $11,000, um, you know, cause you can imagine like any other business, right? You work on a margin. So technically you're, you're hoping that the more you spend theoretically, the, the more you can bring back. Although everyone wants to buy it for the cheapest you can get it for and sell it for the most. Let me tell you, you don't develop a reputation for other people to refer you leads, which is what's happening to me as well. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, and so what I'm trying to say succinct, succinctly is that the leads come from different, you know, faucets, right, from different funnels. But there's usually one or two primo leads that will bring me to an area that will allow me to drop anchor and stay for one or several days. Because economically, if I want to be in the game for another couple decades and I enjoy traveling and I enjoy treasure hunting, this is a really good way to do it. 
and not burn out, you know, if you will, your, your cash on the expenses. Um, it feels a lot better. I'm sure Danny can attest to this and probably you, Jeremy, as well. It feels a lot better traveling on the road, even if you don't make money, as long as you broke even, right? You're living life. You're enjoying the quote unquote great outdoors. You're meeting people. Um, you're checking out card shops or great restaurants or anything in between. And so having that, that anchor lead uh, or collection or, or meeting, even though you're not going to get it every time, I have a really high batting average for those. And so uh, for those asking at home, like, yes, I do keep track. I know on every single trip I go on, how much I spend. I don't necessarily know how much I make because that doesn't come until later, but generally it's a derivative of how much I spend. Um, and so that's kind of like the top level about when I'm willing to go. But sometimes those happen really fast. In other words, I'll find out only a few days before I'll be going out of town. Sometimes I'll know a month before. And so depending on that amount of time, then comes the next level of leads. And this is kind of these ones, these leads are already paid for. We actually use a program called Salesforce. It's very popular uh, in the world today, meaning not just, um, you know, for baseball cards, but certainly in many other big industries. And so I recommend it if you're someone, even if you're like, hey, you know, I don't really need this. I can just use Excel. Sure. The problem is, as you try to make it robust and you try to get, let's say, reminders or you're trying to figure out and pinpoint, hey, I'm going to be not just in Florida, but I'm actually going to be in Miami, Boca and Tampa. You know, how do I get the information I'm looking for? So um, we've become really good at managing our leads, meaning something that these folks won't necessarily ship or um, they don't necessarily want to sell right away. But if they know I'm coming to them, they'll invite me to their home, they'll invite me to their business. And even if they don't sell something that time, they'd like to get an appraisal from me. Um, and, you know, generally that's how I get my dinners paid for kind of thing, you know, so yeah. it's one hand washes the other. Um, and so that's, you know, another group of leads. And then um, we do engage in paid advertising. So for those that are interested, um, we will run Facebook ad campaigns. We'll run Google ad campaigns, um, generally of the paid variety. However, um, recently something that we started doing, and once again, these are good secrets and tips. So if you're watching today and you take some notes, let me know how you use them for, your, for yourself. And it just at least give me the opportunity. Like if you buy a fresh mantle out there and it's because of something you learned today, like, all I ask is just give me a chance to buy it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so uh, thanks for laughing. Um, so anyway, kind of getting back to center, when you're, when you're going out there, it's important to have a budget. And think about it, right? If you had a budget of just making it up $100, but yet you know that you're actually going to go out there and you're going to buy a lead where you're going to make $5,000 making up the number, well, it's like you're paying to play. So now, even though you're going to give up some of your profits, like it's it's – it's, you know, you, you got to give to get. And so all of these things represent different ways, different buckets, different faucets that have these leads come through. And I can't tell you that one is better than the other, but what I can tell you, it takes all of them to make the cake taste good. Right. Uh, and in this case, try to get the most leads you can for the least cost per lead, you know, um, uh, and then of course, depending on your style, Something that I really like to do is kind of get that big lead out of the way first, which I'm going to talk about the logistics of the trip. And that's what I did here. I then, and I think, Danny, you've done this before. We're talking about maybe doing something like this with the Babe Ruth Museum. I love doing this, not just because it's a fun way to make money. It's really a great way to meet people. Um, and it's, it's legitimately fun because you, you really are treasure hunting. You don't know. So what we'll do as part of the advertising campaign, we'll set up shop at a conference room at a hotel. This time we actually did a bar in Boca called Original Fat Cats because a friend of mine lives down there and had a connection to this place. And they literally just had it us for free. All we had to do is just buy some drinks and apps for the customers, which is what we did. And it was really a very inconsequential bill. Now, the lighting was suspect, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, some things that we learned, like we're always learning on these trips. Um, but point being is that even when I'm there and people are like, you know, hey, late, are you by the pool? Sure. I did take some R&R &R time the last day of the trip. But up until that point, it was really like nonstop, you know, whether it be looking at a collection, um, driving to the next destination, checking in and out of the hotel, getting up the next morning, being disappointed they don't have any tennis courts, um, you know, working on the, the, uh, the day's activities, getting to an appraisal fair where, and I'm thrilled with this, we advertise the hours from 12 to 4. For the first three hours, you'll appreciate this, Danny, I was standing with no break. So even if it's, even if it's, <laughs> 
got the best stuff. It's just exhilarating, right? It's at least fun. It's like your own little shout out to Simeon Lippman, a good buddy of mine. It's like your own little antiques roadshow. Uh, but remember, all this stuff costs money, time, effort, and energy. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was another part of the trip. And then usually what I like to do is if you can uh, build some extra time on the back end of it, and it turned out it was worth it in this case, usually what will happen nine out of ten times, you're going to get a minimum of one person, potentially a couple, that walk into this appraisal fair that they want to either show you more stuff in their house, their office, their basement, whatever, or what they brought to you during this little time period that you have is so voluminous and it piques your interest. You're like, listen, in order for me to do the right thing, and it happened with the gentleman I met down there, I need to meet with you off hours, like not in the middle of you know this craziness. Um, and so all of these things led to purchases, led to business, but not just now. Like, believe me, I'm itching to go back there, right? I'm a newly single man. Um, Florida is really warm during the winters of the Northeast. And there's baseball cards that are like waiting for me from the trees to just plop down for the next trip. And I appreciate you guys laughing. Um, but like I said, all, all kidding aside, it takes a lot of work and planning. And I'm very appreciative of my team uh, at Just Collect that, you know, helps with like who handles the calls, right? When the leads come in over the weekend, you're gone. That's a real consideration. So if you're a one man team, you know, one man team, you could do it. Let me tell you something. You're not gonna you're not gonna have any time to yourself to even even use the bathroom. And you know personally, I like to you know take care of business if I have to. So, um, you know, I don't know how we kind of got off track talking about that at the end there. But I just want to explain to everyone: it's not as simple as you go from point A to point B. You have one lead, you buy it, you're done, and you and you hit the road. You can do that. There's no right or wrong. I personally don't do that because I feel like the idea of sunk costs, which our friend Chris talked about from. Uh, forget the name of his channel escapes me at the moment, but we were on just a few weeks ago on your show. When you have a sunk cost of like your time being out of town, if you can figure out how to enjoy that particular area, and obviously it wasn't that hard to enjoy this area, you just figure out like, you know, how to stick and move and how to make things happen. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. One sec, Danny, just like, give me one moment. One, one sec here. Cause that was, that was a, that was a, there was a lot there, Leighton. And, uh, and, but, but, what I what I like is you the the key takeaways there really from here you have you just have to prepare you know you you can't just go down there and expect the baseball cards to fall from the trees you have to that, yeah. you have to plan and, and prepare and and just uh, you know do some ad, put put some money out there to invest I think that's a good takeaway for people if you are looking to travel somewhere else to to have some of these. Uh, opportunities to buy collections or or buy some cards i just before danny you jump in again um tyler says yeah he went to cornell and let everybody know and this is a uh, gordy bonker who i i connected with on uh on instagram today so uh welcome to the show gordy he says that he knows uh mentioned that he knew you Layton, and uh, yeah tyler says i need to see these trees yeah right so do so do i um danny i, I want to ask you quick i'm sure you have something to jump in with but like have you ever done that? Have you ever gone on a buying trip like Leighton talks about? Sure. I, a lot of times I have the reverse. I, a lot of times, am following the a specific item um, as opposed to, to buying what, the way Leighton does, which is much more efficient. Um, so if I get um, a single lead on an item that may end up at, at, in a high-dollar auction, let's say, I have to do the same math that Leighton does. What's my sunk cost going to be, you know, into this item, you know, how much travel, how much authentication, you know, if it's going to an auction house, you know, where, where are we negotiating the percentages? And this happened where I had a client um, in, in Long Island and I'm in Baltimore and I did uh, the Hamptons round trip uh, in one day. Um, and that, that was, was just a Tuesday. Um, and, you know, so, so it's a day you don't see, you know, the family at night, you know, you're gone all day and, and the travel does, does beat you up a little bit. So to Layden's point, it, it's not all the Instagram pictures. So, so I definitely will agree to that. Uh, that being said, you know, it, it is so cool when you get to see something that hasn't seen the light of day in, in a while or see a special object that makes it worth it. I would walk all over the country for that. That's what Leighton calls uh, fresh to the hobby, I believe. And uh, and Leighton, you know, you talked about using Salesforce. Like Salesforce is, 
is rampant in, in industry. A lot, many companies use it to, to run their, to, to run their sales, uh, their sales, more, more than just their sales force and more than just their, their sales leads. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever used Salesforce myself, but I've like companies I've worked for have used it, but I've always been on the finance side. So it wasn't a tool I had, I've used, but it sounds to me like that's, that's some pretty advanced organization tells me that you're really approaching this at a professional level, which I would also think would, would, would kind of come through in everything that you're doing. I know it does. You're a professional in this industry and that must give your, the people, the leads that you're meeting, it must give them some confidence in dealing with you as well. Not that you use Salesforce. They probably don't know it, but that to me is a sign of, of just taking it seriously, being professional. Obviously you are. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I'm impressed that you use Salesforce. You know, it's funny. It's like out of all the things we talked about in the first 21 minutes and, and 30 That's seconds, what I got. Sales. It's like unbelievable. I'm like traveling. I'm working my butt off. And my buddy Jeremy's like, wow, Leighton uses Salesforce. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and like, you know, I feel like I'm going to clip this. I'm going to send this to my rep. Like, connect. you know, by the way, folks, it's great. It's not cheap. So like maybe Salesforce yeah. can give me like a year's free now. Like I'm giving them great press. Exactly. Um, but, you know, the, the joking aside, um, Listen, right, I do believe this both professionally and personally, and I said this before. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. There's no guarantees. Um, I will say this, you're talking about being prepared. So I bought a collection recently. The video hasn't come out about it. If you want to check it out, I know this is self-serving, but if you want to check out some of our blogs and our videos about the collections, you can either check them out on our blog at blog.justcollect.com or actually have a Just Collect YouTube channel. And the reason I was bringing it up is because we're just about to come out with the collection I bought in Rehoboth Beach, uh, a few months ago, it was a collection of pop sets. And, um, you know, he had said to me at one point, it's actually part of the video, wow, Leighton, like you're fa fairly diligent. And I said, excuse me? And he was like, you know, you have a laptop. And I'm thinking like, you know, do you know what year it is, right? Like, I don't know if the guy was like, you know, crypto, uh, cryo sealed or something, like whatever that's called. I'm like, you know, yeah, I have a computer. He's like, no, you, you have it with you. He's like, you know, I had other people look at the collection and he, I had him rolling. I'm like, no, really? Like, of course, you got to do your diligence. He's like, no, Leighton, you don't understand. I had people look at the collection and please, if my competitors are listening, I know this may hurt me. It's, I'm partly kidding, but I am being serious. You can help yourself. The guy, the gentleman was like, no, the other people, like one guy wrote it down, like, you know, paper, which once again, I'm not judging. You know, I use paper as well, as well as my laptop. But another guy literally, and I, and I highly advise against this because it's very hard to earn someone's trust he literally you know looked at all the stuff this individual he's like you know i'm making it up i can pay you 30 grand and here's the thing even if you're overpaying by ten thousand, how the hell does anyone know that so you really have to give people some context and some perspective and you do have to give them some value i know it stinks because you're kind of thinking to yourself like you know if i give them a formal appraisal and they don't sell me the collection or deal or, or, you know, cause remember it's not always someone who's fresh to the hobby. Some other times it's a veteran who's been collecting for 11 years. They used to do shows, you know, 13 years ago, they don't do it anymore. And you know, it's not always the same, it's always humans, but it's not always the same shtick. And so, um, you know, you have to, you kind of have to figure it out. Uh, you know, what's the best course of action for yourself. But I thought it was going to get us to deal is the point. And so later on, he's like, you know, looking at me like it's a high stakes poker game and I'm making it up. Let's say I offered 30 grand and I say in the video, he's like, can you pay, you know, 60% more, which is like 52,000. I'm like, absolutely not. This is insane. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, sir, I try to shoot for the bullseye. I'm not saying I get it exact, but if I offer you 30 grand, no, I can't pay you 52,000. Like, like I wouldn't be around very long. Like you understand that, sir. It's not a good business practices to be way off base like that. And so, let me, you know. Let, let me bring this. We had a question right here, which kind of ties into how you pay. So uh, this Facebook user says, do you generally purchase off of a percentage rules, like 60%, 70% or more on expensive cards? Um, is Do you want to talk about that a bit, Leighton? How do you- Yeah, you, no, listen, I'm yeah. happy to, you know, take the curtain back, it's a good episode. Yeah. So first and, and, and foremost- Good right, evening, Cards AH. Uh, what's going on, Cards AH? Um, first and foremost, it also matters what it means to me. So first of all, I'm a collector, okay? Second of all, I become pretty good at the storytelling of the items that we're buying. And I think Danny will appreciate this. 
let's just say I go into a deal and the guy's like, you know, I want a thousand bucks and I'm making it up. I could pay 700 and I tell him I could pay 700. He gets me up to 750 and he's like, I want a thousand dollars. And you, you explain to him till you're blue in the face, sir, you understand that if I pay you a thousand dollars, like I'm likely not going to eat dinner tonight. And I'm not sure that my underwear is going to be clean tomorrow. And thank you for laughing. They don't always laugh. So, um, but the humor does get me pretty far with the ladies. So anyway, um, getting back to center, uh, what happens is sometimes you really want to bring those items to, to light, or you think it's super cool for your collection, or you're like, oh my God, Mr. Smith really needs it for his collection. And even though I'm literally going to make no money, I know Mr. Smith has a million dollar collection that I want to have first crack at, and he's really going to appreciate this favor that I'm doing for him on top of the 12 other ones that, I, that I've done for him. So I just don't believe, that's what's so interesting, right? Like when you buy a stock or you execute a trade on the stock market for 100 shares, depending if you have a stop loss, the whole thing, it's like you get 100 shares. The, the price you're going to get, you don't know. It's so much more complicated in our business, but at the same time, I like the art of it. You know, people say the art of a deal, well, it's even more so in our business because you have like on the one shoulder, hey, Leighton, I really want that for my collection. On the other shoulder, like, Leighton, you just got divorced. Can you really afford that? You know, I mean, come on, guys. Like, it's, it's, I'm just human like anyone else. So you're trying to figure it out as you're going. Um, and so in terms of percentage, try to ask, um, answer a little bit more directly. The reality of it is, if it's stuff that I don't want, one piece of advice I'm going to give you, I don't give any percentage. I actually tell people, I just don't want it. I'll say, it's not for me. They'll say, what do you mean? I'll say, it's just not even fit my inventory. It's a great item. It's a great set of items. I'll recommend eBay, a local card store, um, card shop. But I'll tell you, I've gotten in trouble by saying to people, you know, I'll pay X percentage. And then when you look at it, you're like, I still don't really want it. So do yourself a favor. You don't need more junk in your life, right? Don't offer a percentage on the low end. So let's get back to the, to the middle. So the reality of it is I pay a drop lower for ungrade cards than I do for graded. Keep in mind, folks, I deal mainly with vintage. I do deal with some modern, but mainly vintage. So to me, to keep things uh, easy, for cards that are commoditized, that are graded, if I want them, if they're, if they're liquid, and there's nothing super duper special about them, I'm probably going to be in that 70 to 80% range of what they're worth. That being said, if they are super special, if it's something I want for my collection, if it's something I know another collector wants, and even if I can't make any money, but I know it's going to be difficult for them to, to find, I'll pay 80 to 100%. Keeping in mind, though, make sure you're listening to this clearly, Paying 100% is more of an exception to the rule as compared to if I'm a collector, then it doesn't really matter because I'm enjoying it for myself. Um, and when it comes to ungraded, I do pay a drop less. As a general rule, if it's off, off-grade vintage and it has like no stars, I'll pay about 50%. If you have stars in your ungraded vintage collection, I tell people I pay 50 to 60%. And if you have an ungraded vintage collection, that's really strong with mantles, right? With with roses, with bench, whatever the case is, um, I will pay closer to the graded prices as the quality of your collection um, gets better. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think part of the thing where I really understand that, like I feel like I understand it, but when you talk about the non-star buying, you'll pay 50% because that stuff can sit around in inventory for a very long time and that 50% could be deployed elsewhere for a better return on inventory than having, you know, waiting for the guy to fill his binder or, you know, the set collector who's working on the, the 53 tops at what, what have you. There's all, there's always ways to liquidate quickly, you know, by listing on eBay or wherever you might want to. So I hear that. What do you think Danny of all that there that he just said? I think that the liquidity is one of the biggest issues uh, when you make some of those decisions certain players and certain cards and certain errors specifically in vintage you know that you can take a little bit more of an aggressive approach when you buy them uh, modern cards you do it's, to me it's a whole different ball game when i look at the percentages if i'm working with somebody um, i have to be or i feel i need to be a lot more conservative um in my risk tolerance on, on vintage Layton couldn't be more correct if, if it's graded um, and it's one of those goat players and it's liquid, then you can afford to pay a, a lot closer to, to market value because you know 
that's an item that's not going to sit for too long. Let me ask this, Leighton. Do you have do you have people like I know I do. I buy collections too, not at the rate you do. I don't do it professionally, but I do buy collections that I buy to have inventory for when I go to a card show. And a lot of times in those collections, you know, first thing I do is I go shopping for my PC. I'll buy the collection, I'll come home and I'll pick out a few pieces I want to keep for myself. And then I'll then I'll pick out the pieces that are what I call showcase worthy because I only go to a, a, I only get one booth at a show. I have six showcases and real estate in those six showcases is at a premium. And then the rest of the stuff, I will find ways to bulk, either bulk it out or send it to, to Com C or send it to an, an eBay lister or send it to a, another, a bulk buyer who just has their own method. Some people put cards in vending machines, you know, for, you know, three cards for a dollar at the, at the baseball stadiums, the hockey arena. So I, I have ways to move the parts of a collection that I purchased that I don't want to retain. What about, what about you? Do you tend to handle it all yourself or do you, do you ever like wholesale out stuff to people? Um, one of the things, great question, Jeremy. One of the things that uh, I'm really proud of is that I've got a lot better at what you just described. So I still love cards. I actually hate selling. I really like buying. Um, it's so much more fun to buy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but per your point, what I've realized is I don't care if Rick Pokestein sells my cards. I don't care if Heritage sells my cards. What I care about is enjoying what I do for a living and continuing that on for as long as I'd like. So um, one of the hardest things to figure out, and I think you were um, harping on this, Danny, is, hey, both when you – actually, Jeremy, I think you said this about repacking, like the portions of the collection you don't really want. And then, Danny, you talked about modern. And I guess it's really two different things. But in terms of buying the collections of stuff you don't want, remember, I'm buying mostly vintage. I know, literally, I could go to any card show, any major one in the country. And if I don't want to deal with 86% of the new collection I just bought for $40,000, I could bring it, wholesale it. And for wholesaling, for those that want to know what that means, it just means taking a little bit less than I would get and retailing it, piecemealing it out. However, a shout out to, for example, like Jimmy Ryan, who runs all the Northeast shows. You know, he's got incredible inventory. He's got all these binders that he puts out. And a lot of people look at that like, wow, that guy does great. But they don't see the countless hours that go on and behind the scenes of sorting. And like, it's just, it's painstaking the effort that they make. And that's why they're able to do that. But they have a long-term approach to that model. So if you know that you can feed cards to someone who's going to retail them appropriately, they should at least be able to pay you fairly. For example, versus someone else, Who's like, hey, I'm just trying to buy a card from you to flip it. I don't begrudge that person, but just understand they may not be their your, your end user. So really, it's 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 not that healthy to deal, you know, necessarily with someone like that or that easy. And then Danny, to address what you were saying about modern cards, here's the thing: I don't deal that much with them, but I can tell you the way that you described it. I'm extremely conservative, and because I'm extremely conservative, when people ask me if I buy vintage cards, excuse me, if I buy modern cards, it's almost like the same way do I buy memorabilia. I do, but I'm a vintage card expert. So what modern cards have become to me is literally just a different asset. And they're cards, but they might as well be sports memorabilia to me. It doesn't matter because it's not in my wheelhouse of what I know best. And honestly, I'm not trying to pretend to anyone. Hey, if you have, like, I've been to, shout out to Bleaker Trading and, and Zabs and Jacob and Jess, the gang over there. I've been to trade nights there. I'll meet like a 16-year-old kid and I have, you know, let's just say a nice amount of vintage cards in me. He's like, yeah, how about them apples? He'll take out like a a Zion case of like a million dollars of, of modern and no slight on this individual because I don't actually have someone in mind, but they're showing it to me as if they're like, hey, you know, late, do you want to buy any of this? And it's more of like, I like window shopping. I like looking at the cards, but I'm not going to put my money into a poker game and I'm not a good poker player. I don't know this stuff. So, hey, if I wanted a Luca card, would I buck up for it or trade for it for my collection? Sure. Because I just figured, what's the difference for my collection? It doesn't really matter. It's personal to me. But I'm not trying to prove something or prove to be someone I'm not. And I'm simply just not a modern guy. I don't, I don't have those connections. I understand liquidity is on eBay, but I also understand eBay is a nasty place sometimes for modern. So for me, I try to deal in the lanes of mostly vintage. And for those that are tuned in that don't know what I mean by that, I definitely well, consider 80s here. vintage. Go ahead. Then I just want to bring because uh, yeah. TB Shale just said right here, really on point is in your mind, what is the last year oh. you consider to be vintage? And I, I, I'm, I talked about this on a, a couple episodes ago. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it, and and so I'm curious what you think. Sure. So for me, it's going to be different than for anyone else. But 
uh, although I consider, you know, vintage certainly to be, you know, say 50s and 60s and 70s and earlier, I actually do tell people in the 90s. And the reason why I do that is because there's a lot of cards from the 80s, you know, like Michael Jordan's rookie, like Joe Montana's rookie, because I've had a lot of this recently where people ask, well, all the 80s stink? No, it's not true. If you have the right key rookie cards in quantity, which obviously almost no one does, but you never know, um, those are good. And then the 90s, and I've had this happen to me, I don't want to turn, and of course, you keep going by decade, but in the 90s, I still understand grading. I still understand the production runs. I understand someone's contacted me actually twice in the last 15 years with 93 finest baseball refractor sets, which, you know, are a really big item. So I try not to turn a blind out of those. But I'll tell you, when you get to the 2000s and you get the LeBrons and to the Brady era, I think all those cards are awesome and they're worth a lot of money. But admittedly, I don't understand them. I've never owned a lot of them. And I don't even know who the end buyers are in some cases. So it's it's not my expertise. I don't want to try to pretend. So if I had to say vintage, I say 90s and earlier. But, you know, true vintage to me is, yeah, listen, it's the early 1900s, you know, so. A lot of people say that vintage is up until night like 1980 because that's when you know don russ and uh fleer got came into the picture and tops had competition i think it depends on the sport a little bit too uh i believe and uh and you know like for hockey i, I consider hockey vintage to be until 1988 really may 89 is a bit of a limbo year because you know there was all these vending cases made by opici but you know i I also think for baseball, it might be the year before because 89 Upper Deck came in and, and you know took the gum out of packs and out of the hologram, the premium stock, the foil wrap. So to me, just because there was competition that came in in 1980, nothing else really changed about the cards. The stock was the same. The, the way they were distributed was the same. The way they were packaged was the same. I, I think I spent an hour and a half talking about this uh, in, the, in the last week. So we did. I, I, oh. Oh yeah, that, yeah. You 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 came on. I always find it to be a, an interesting uh, discussion. Danny, uh, how's your time right now? Well, I, I have I have a minute, but it's funny because I did an episode on another show on that same topic also, and it was the most controversial topic. I never expected to be controversial. Um, the the labeling of errors of cards evidently is 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 controversial. A topic as we can have. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, it's the third rail of our hobby. Yeah. I, but what I just say is, listen, we're each free to, to define vintage how we want. And, uh, and that's okay. I, I think that, uh, I think that's just an okay thing, you know, like vintage to Layton's going to be different than vintage to me, different to, and it might depend on how old you are when you started collecting, how old you were when you started collecting, there could be a whole lot of things. And I think as time goes by vintage becomes newer and newer at least i would think it does but that might be the hobby might be the exception well i do think the history of the printing and the legality like you said if who had the license um does allow you to break into certain errors especially when you get to vintage versus pre-war you know starting at 48 um i i, I do find it easy sometimes to classify if somebody tells me what they have just, just give me a decade. You know, I, I don't care what you call it. Just give, just give me a decade. Give me a player. I'll figure out what to name it. Right on. Let me go to a few comments here, guys. And uh, Danny, if you if you need to to you know get going at any time, uh, just let us know. Uh, and I just know that because you let me know that you know time was of the essence for you. A uh, diamond called card collector did want to know: Are you guys both from Maryland? Just Danny is. Yeah, Layton's in New Jersey. Yes, just up the street. Just up the street. Perfect. Bonkers uh, says, this is Gordy. This brings up, oh, this goes back. This is already a few minutes old, but uh, brings up an interesting point, I think, in the hobby when it comes to vintage collectors, which I and my audience are primarily in. I am often surprised at the little amount of technology that is used or relied on for understanding the market, making deals, and even paying, even paying, right? I mean, I think this has to do with a lot of people, a lot of vintage uh, vendors or dealers or just people who have vintage who are selling it now might just be of that generation that uh, didn't haven't adopted technologies and there's nothing wrong with that it's just a function of what year you were born a lot of the time not to say that some people who were born longer ago haven't adopted technologies but not all of them have Colin Murray welcome to the show says hey guys do this every week I, I do enough content, Colin. I don't know if I can add another. I do Fridays once in a while, but definitely not every week. But hey, you never know, Colin. Thanks for the encouragement. Uh, John Newman in the house says the three mentions because uh, John and Danny have 
have the this the the trading card trading, menches. the card menches the card menches uh and and that is podcast and and youtube correct yep absolutely what you what youtube channel is that on danny Plug it in. is it is on the card menches channel but also on sports card nation and sports ball so if you follow john you can find our show there and by John, he is referring to John Newman, whose uh, picture you see oh, on your screen right right now. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is a, from a while ago. PSA ten made a good comment when you were talking Leighton about like, you know, you don't want to overpay for cards if you're doing this professionally. Never buy yourself a low paying job. I think that's a pretty good piece of advice right there. Good evening, Nick Martelli, loyal viewer, and loving this topic of vintage. Sexton says, did you guys see the CSG slab miscut 1952 Jackie Robinson tops card with part of the mantle showing because of the miscut? I did see that. Uh, did you guys see that? Yeah, the one that sold, I think, at auction a while ago, right? Reese, yeah, I saw it. I Not saw it somewhere ago, in the yeah. last week or so, I believe. Instagram. Yeah, it had sold, it had sold at auction week, before it was slabbed. Yeah. Okay, yeah, did see it. Thought, I'll give you my thought on that, Sexton. My thought is that... Um, I'd rather, I'd rather have a card that isn't miscut. I think it's neat, but it's def definitely definitely not something that I would put with the rest of my collection. It just wouldn't fit in my collection. I don't like. I'll have the odd miscut card maybe, but one that is like way miscut that you have like an eighth of the next card on doesn't interest me. What about you guys? Like I know I think there's people out there that actually collect that odd. To me, that's not a miscut. It's an oddball, you know, or or it's both. But what do you guys, how do you guys feel about it? Well, Leighton, before I head out real quick, I'll, I'll stick with the Marshall Fogel rule. If money's no object, nothing under an eight. So how's that? Sounds fair. <laughs> yeah, fair. I appreciate you guys letting me jump in on a Friday night. My daughter is off of babysitting, so I have to play daddy uh, responsibilities. All right. Well, thanks for jumping on, Danny. Good to see yeah, you. Thank you, guys. Good seeing you, Danny. Preds card collection says hello to you, Leighton. There you go. Hey, what's going on? Buddy, yeah, uh, there we go. Ralphie in the house. What's going on, Ralph? Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Colin says, Oh, I mean buying collections. What he says, Hey guys, do this every week, buying collections. He says, Hey guy, I think he says I do this every week. Maybe that's what he means there. I'm Sorry. Not sure. Maybe, he, must... can, maybe he can specify. Yeah. Yeah. I think because uh, he's a vintage uh, hockey dealer. I uh, does oh, okay. baseball too, and he's uh, been a staple at the uh, at the expo for for many years. Uh, Gordy says I still get told what a card is booking on Beckett magazines pretty consistently. I have to say I don't think that is the best way to judge a card's value. Yeah, whenever someone quotes me or pulls out a Beckett, I pretty much know immediately that that there's not going to be a deal. There's not going to a deal's not going to get done. As soon as that's their reference, if I go to, and there's a local show I go to, to here late in Calgary, I go, it's, it's monthly. And there's a couple guys there that they, they need that Beckett to price their cards. And as soon as I, I sometimes they have cards I want. So I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go again. I'm, you know, I've, I've been, I've been over eight the last eight times I've seen this guy, but I'm going to see, cause I want the card and nope, just can't, uh, just can't do it. What about you? Where, where do you, how do you kind of fall on uh, how many people that you come across when you're trying to buy a collection, how many of them are still relying on, on Beckett magazines? Well, at least for us, not that many. Um, but I think it's because of the type of people that we attract as far as leads, meaning people who find us through our website, they're finding us, you know, through these stories or videos that we put out about the collections that we purchase um, you know, we try to be transparent about our valuation process. Uh, but, you know, I would say that more uh, often we'll actually have folks, and I think there's this misnomer about Beckett graded like EVG cards. And I have to say, if you know your vintage cards, uh, I think this is an interesting tip from today's show, um, is that a lot of folks, because of Beckett's brand name and prowess in the industry for a long time, maybe not in recent time, but for a long time, when grading started, folks didn't really know PSA and in fact were comfortable because Beckett's magazine might've been in their local library or in their local card shop. So we've actually bought some incredible card collections graded by Beckett, and I'm not exaggerating, we've cracked out almost every single one because they're just worth more in PSA or SGC holders. But a lot of people, I don't wanna you know, say anything ill of Beckett, but I feel like 
they 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 have this belief in the vintage community like well if someone graded a vintage card with beckett it must there must be something wrong with it because they would have graded with psa or they would have graded sgc you have to understand there's a lot of cards out there and you can't control what the secondary market does with their cards so part of the reason why for example psa was so flooded with these millions of cards for the backlog is because it actually went from the Beckett brand name to the PSA brand name. And when this big baseball card gold rush happened and people thought you could grade a 90 hoops, you know, whatever, uh, Hall of Famer of Akeem Olajuwon and, you know, sell it for 40 bucks because the card's 50 cents and you only pay $8 to grade it. Uh, it it's you, you can buy good graded vintage cards and Beckett holders, but even then I haven't had people use Beckett magazine. So I guess Gordy, and I hope you get to stop by the shop soon. Um, I don't really see that many folks using the Beckett magazines. What I have more of, Jeremy, is, well, you know, my Babe Ruth Gowdy, uh, you're telling me it's worth $7,000 based on condition. And yet I see one on eBay that's 75000 And I'm like, oh, is it the same one? And they're like, it's the same card. I said, well, can I get them going? So I'm like, it can't be the same card because I have yours right here. So you mean it's the same. And like, so you get them to start to understand it's like a diamond. And I explain this to people. Diamonds in all different shapes and sizes are all worth money, right? But just because it's a diamond doesn't mean it's worth $100,000. You know, it has to have a certain size, a certain clarity, a certain cut. So it's the same thing, um, you know, of course, with condition of vintage cards. And just another little tip, which has helped me educate Folks, as we're buying, listen, you know, there's only the 10 grades. There's half grades in between. But especially when you deal with vintage, that grade of one is like all over the board. So when you're valuing things, if you take a really sharp 52 tops mantle that has back damage, and that's a one, versus a one that looked like it was in Jeremy's grandfather's bikes, folks, and then he gave it to my grandfather, to ride from New Jersey to California, and that's in a one. Sometimes folks who are not as knowledgeable of the industry or hobby as let's say you who are watching today's show or Jeremy or, or anything in between will say, well, I've seen this PSA one Mickey Mantle sell for $73,000 and you're telling me mine's only worth 29,000. So you really have to have a lot of patience, but you can do it, just do it with proof. And here's the thing. If they don't believe you, you have to be willing to let them go. Yeah. And you have to tell them to go do their research. And I would say it doesn't always happen. But when I let people, and of course they can do anything on their own free will, but when I encourage people to go out there and get another opinion, we have a pretty good return rate. Like, of course, you don't want people to, to, to go out there. Like any good salesman knows you close that day. Your percentage goes way down when they get away from you. But it's a different kind of selling in this case. So the point is, is that if you take a bucket of 100 people who weren't comfortable to sell that day, but you gave them the best information, most of the time they're not embarrassed to come back to you because you'll probably pay the most. And even if you paid the same, most people are good people. They're going to appreciate that you gave them that good information. So they're not going to let Johnny come lately dealer like work up to the fact that you offered 585. And so the guy's like, I'll pay 585 also. And you know what? The guy's like, honestly, man, I'm going to sell it to my friend Chach because he paid 585 and he actually gave me all the information. He gave me the roadmap of what to do. And I really appreciate that. It will come back to you. It may not come back to you all the time. You can't have those expectations like people owe you. But if you do the right thing, it'll come back to you. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Let's, uh, okay. Well, th yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of comments coming here where people are like, you know, feeling this. So let's go through some of them. Yeah, Colin, thank you for clarifying. TB Shale right here says, thanks for that information. On the same page with your thoughts. Bonkers, yeah, about uh, the when people pull out a Beckett. Nick Martelli, I saw a wild card this evening at a local trade night. It was a licensed reprint auto of the Bird Magic Irving Rookie, and it blew my mind, although it was a reprint. Very nice. TB Shale, Leighton, living in Tampa area. When you were in Florida, did you find any leads for purchases, we we did discuss that at the beginning of the show, uh, TB Shale. So instead of repeating it, please, when you have a chance, just uh, rewind, and uh, hopefully you can you can catch that part of the show. Uh, collector's dream. I'm in Florida. Some great collect 
some great collectors here. I mean, Florida's got a pretty good card show scene as well, or at least I know it did at one point. I remember seeing a ton of uh, content on some Florida shows. Uh, Gordy says recently bought some BBG slabs for this exact reason, Layton. Great, great insight. Just because some, not all cards in BVG slabs have a reason to be in a BBG, a negative reason to be in a BVG slab. Beckett Grading Services was the leading brand in grading for, for several years, for sure. So Chad Chipper is also in Florida. He's in Fort Myers. Good for you. Yeah, Chad, uh, Leighton just got back from a trip, a buying trip in Florida. Leighton, what were your stops? Uh, I was in Tampa, flew into Tampa, drove to Boca that night, did a uh, free appraisal fair in Boca on Saturday, drove to Miami on Saturday night, woke up in Miami on Sunday morning. Awesome. There you go. Uh, Ralphie says transparency is definitely a crucial key factor when it comes to dealing. How how do you scale between PSA and BVG in a in a P and in a price together scale of worth point of equality? Not sure I understand your comment completely, Ralph. I'll be honest with you. It's a little. It's. It's. I. I think I understand what he's saying, but I don't want to assume. So maybe he could rephrase it. I'd be happy. Yeah, to try and rephrase that, uh, Ralph. Uh, Collector's Dream is in South Florida. YKJP says Diamond Metaphor makes sense. I will use this. I, I'm with you, YK. That made a lot of sense to me. It's one that I haven't used before. But when I say haven't used, using to to make it more uh, understandable to people that not all PSA 1s are the same, not all PSA 2s are the same, not all diamonds are the same. It's, it's, a, it's a great way to get your point across, Layton. I'm going to use that one as well. Sexton says, some diamonds they put on drill bits. There you go, right? Exactly. Like, the, like you say, like Layton, there could be a, a PSA 1 that had a, 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 a like a thumbtack that went through it, a pinhole. Overall, the card is otherwise a six or a seven, yet it has a hole in it. You compare that to a card that was that that you know coffee spilled on it. It was crumpled up, flattened out, and put in a slab. I will take that pinhole card every day and probably pay more for that than I would for an ugly PSA three. So grade is grade to me. It's like remember they used to say Beckett is only a guide. You know Beckett is a guide to me. The grade is a guide. It's not the the only factor in coming up with value. Uh, Collector's Dream likes your advice, Leighton. David Ventura, how much hockey is in Florida shows? Is there a lot at the National? Uh, I can speak to the National, David. National, this past National in Atlantic City, I was expecting very little hockey. Chicago often has a lot of hockey. It's an original six-town city, but Atlantic City this past year, I was blown away with how much hockey there was. Pleasantly surprised, because that's my, my favorite thing to collect. Leighton, why don't you address the Florida, or if you can, the floor, and just even your experiencing hockey in on the East Coast? Yes, in general, uh, I saw almost no hockey in Florida. Um, I agree with you, Jeremy. There was a fair amount of hockey at the National. And honestly, if you want to get hockey cards, just go north of the border to any of the great shows that are, that are in Canada. But when we get a hockey lead, without exaggeration, I'll know before they put it in a sales force, like there's a 98.5% chance it's from Canada. It just is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Colin Murray says lived in Florida for 10 years, no hockey, which is funny because there's two NHL teams there. There's Doesn't a matter. ton of ton of Canadian snowbirds that go down there. I mean, my grandparents, I went to Florida every every winter for six or eight years in a row when I was a little kid. But that was even that was, you know, I was just I was, I'm talking like the late 70s, early, early 80s. Nick Martelli says Beckett being a guide, just like how we rely on comps now, just a different time and different resources. Yeah, that's well said. Justin Ventori is in Panama City, Florida. Plenty of shows here. Yeah, that's what I that's what I hear. Gordy Bonker heading out. Good night. Thanks for joining, pal. Facebook user, I don't know who you are, but that's okay. Says hockey question. There are some great rookies during 90 to 99. I never see these rookie cards as shows. It's like nobody really collects this stuff due to mass production. Will these cards ever be worth anything or be popular? Colin. Oh, hi, Colin. Um, yeah, I mean, probably not that probably not that valuable, but there are people that collect them. I know several people who want all those guys you listed. Maybe not Jovanovsky so much, but again, Joe Thornton is is a these are all guaranteed Hall of Famers. I believe the Sedins are a Hall. I think Hosa's a Hall of Famer. Le Cavalier might be, maybe. Thornton guaranteed. Aginla is or will be for sure. 
I think he is. I should know. He played here. Jovanovski, not, not so much. But yeah, I mean, those are some great cards, but they're in that kind of limbo period in between the junk wax and the, the real inserty time of the second half of the of the 90s. And uh, we got about five more minutes here, guys. Ralphie says, here we go. PSA and BVG slabs upon purchasing on same grade equality and clarity. Why does the BVG get the hit price, get the hit price-wise compared to PSA, even with a lower pop count, which doesn't apply? So he's basically asking, Leighton, why why is why are Beckett vintage graded cards valued at lower than PSA vintage cards? It's the same reason why the other grading companies' cards are lower than PSAs, because PSA has more of the market share and people are talking with their wallets. So at the end of the day, no one's saying PSA is better. I don't think that because a PSA card sells for more, and this is an important point from today's show, just because a PSA card sells for more than an SGC or a Beckett card, that doesn't mean it's better. Uh So if you are a true collector and you really understand your cards, that's what I was trying to explain about Beckett before, you can be really savvy out there. Um, And don't be wrong, PSA, there's a reason why. They've done a great job building up their company, and there's lots of reasons with their registry and their marketing, um, and the demand that they created for their product, their product being their slab around the graded card. But sometimes as a collector, you should try to use that to your advantage. And if you see a card in an SGC or a Beckett holder, and you're like, you know, I really like that card. Well, if you know it's only going to sell for more in a different holder, maybe there's some way that you can make that have a benefit for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I agree with, with pretty much all of that. I mean... And the other thing is with a lot, you know, no, no, none of these. And, you know, keep in mind, I work for tag grading, which is automated grading. We don't grade vintage. We only grade grade 2000 forward at this time. So keep that in mind. But, you know, the fact of the matter is with human grading companies, their grades move around. If you send in the same card over again, a PSA nine today might be a PSA eight the next day and a PSA 10 three days later. So that allows you to really, if causes you, you should at least be very discerning when you are looking at these cards and don't just look at the grade, look at the card. You can buy a PSA six that is nicer than most PSA that might, not all the time, but there are PSA sixes that will present better than PSA eights. It's just the fact of the matter. So um, just be discerning and and speak with your wallet and don't be a slave to the slab. Ah, don't be a slave to the slab. That kind of and, a st- and standards have changed over time. I don't know if the grading companies will admit that, but you don't need them to. All you need to lo- do is look at a first generation PSA graded card versus a recent graded card, and I can tell you, I've graded, I don't know, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of vintage cards, and I know right now it's much tougher on submitting, let's say, a 1933 Gaudi that used to be a VG3 all day, now they're going to find a reason to give it a two and a half. Mm-hmm. They don't like the eye appeal to two. Still a great card, um, but the numerical grade is different. Um, and it's because grading standards have evolved over time. Yeah, exactly. Scott Fiscus, I'm always confused by how a vintage card with sharp corners that is off-center can be 60% of a centered card with rougher corners. And I can... I, I understand that, Scott, personally. Like, I, I kind of run that way myself because the centered card just presents better. The frame is meant, the frame around the card. Uh, Scott, um, uh, Maddie C. Collector on, yeah, on Instagram. Sure. Maddie explained this. He put it really well. I'm stealing this from him. He said, the card is meant to be framed. Like, when you go, when you get a picture of your family framed, you don't want the frame to be wider on the left than it is on the right. You want it to be a perfectly... Uh, symmetrical frame and that's what the cards are meant to be and that's what the hobby is gravitated towards are cards that are properly framed so i do get it also for me on a vintage card a rounded corner i'm like okay with it to me that's a natural aging of the card i i much prefer that personally i think it's really as simple as just collector's tastes larry's classic says colorado is light on hockey despite being the home of the champs yeah that's and then, I mean, they even had a hockey. They had the Colorado Rockies way, way back in the seventies or the early eighties as well. And Sexton says that all, it seems like Beckett slabs are really cloudy. I, I would have to unfortunately agree with that. Uh, the plastic just is, is, has been a low quality lately, from what I've seen. Ralphie says, personally, in my sake, I buy the cards and, of course, appreciate the insight. You bet, Ralph. Good to see you as always, my friend. Colin says, BVG vintage corners aren't making the cut. 
but a modern BGS has a great chance to get a PSA 10. Uh, TB Shale says, Leighton, what are a couple of your most cherished PC cards you have? Let's come back to that one. Tyler says, BVG, from my experience, seems to use different standards, especially in the grades two to five range. Okay. Uh, most cards I've gotten from BVG are almost two grades lower yeah. with PSA and SGC. And Kinjo says, Iginla got in the air before Alfredson. Thank you, Kinjo. I should know that. Uh, Leighton, uh, to the question about a couple of your favorite PC cards, we're at an hour. You got to go. We're going to wrap this up. Show us a couple cards quick that you have with you. Uh, and maybe as you're doing it, talk about if you want some of your favorite PC pieces. Sure. So I'll tell you what, only because Jeremy, right, it wouldn't be good showman if we didn't wanting more, uh, leave them wanting more. So why don't we cover that question on the next time, whether it be tomorrow night or a future episode, we'll talk about some PC cards I have. However, I thought it'd be cool. I'm the closing uh, seconds here. I'm going to show you the highlights of this Tampa collection I bought. It's over a thousand vintage tops and Bowman baseball cards from the 1950s. These are just some of the highlights. Um, I trimmed it down so that we could see just a handful in the time that we have left. And you're going to see here, 54 Jackie, a K-Line, a trio of Teddies. Um, and then... What's that last second, card? What's that last card? I can see the color. Yeah, second year, Ernie Banks. And then, of course, we have... Uh, here, I'm going to put this one down here so you can't see it. There's, uh, there's the Jackie. Um, my favorite card of Jackie, or one of my favorites, because this is last year. And I know it's tough to see with the camera. Um, even though this 52 is going to grade a one, it's part of about 20 high numbers that were found in this collection. And before I show you the Mickey, keep this in mind. Ian's father was likely not a collector. Ian believes that someone in the neighborhood or a family friend or a family member gave Ian, uh, who's, um, uh, Ian, excuse me, gave Ian's father uh, the collection he was a kid. So as Ian was growing up as a kid, these cards were, were basically handled, they were played with. And in fact, he remembers taking the Mickey Mantle 1952 Tops card, in fact, this one, to school. Oh. So the fact that this survived at all, forget about the condition, he literally brought it to school and what we have some great video footage of the collection. Jeremy, what we realized is kids, when they were bringing it to school, they were bringing it to school because it was like toys to them. That was really all it was. And there's probably only about 75 or 80 um, 1952 Tops cards in the collection, about 15 or 20 high numbers. Well, you wouldn't believe it. There's a Mickey and a Jackie. And so it was really great to start off the trip with that. Um, like I said, uh, we bought some other great stuff along the way. I can't believe an hour went by this fast because I thought we would have had plenty of time, but apparently I can talk, Jeremy. So. Yeah, well, no, that, that's fine. I, this has been fun, man. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this on, on the Friday night. Uh, that Mickey, what I noticed about it is that it's that, that more rarer type that has the complete box around the Yankees logo. That's the that's the the version or the variation of the card that I would want if and when I were to ever purchase one. I'm not saying I want to buy yours, although I would. Well, Jeremy, to. it sounds like we might have a deal in the making. I could put you on a plan, and you know we could talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. What, what do you think that? Do you think that grades a one? Uh, one and a half to two. Yeah, and what's what do you what do you value that card at once it's graded? Uh, probably about thirty five thousand ish, give or take. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for uh, showing it. Uh, Yankees fan says, yeah, that wasn't, that is a nice 52 mantle. Uh, thank you, Yankees fan, for tuning in. Really appreciate the comment. Uh, same to you, Scott Fiscus. Thank you for, for jumping on on a Friday. I know this is relatively, uh, I did, didn't, you know, it's off off schedule for me, but um, hey, it's a, it's a, my, my wife had to go out tonight. So this is a perfect, uh, perfect night for me to, to jump on with you, Leighton. Thanks for joining, buddy. This was fun. Uh, thanks to Danny Black for coming on for a portion of the show a little bit earlier. Uh, anything uh, else? Or I guess that's it. We'll uh, we'll see you soon, hey? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I want to thank Danny for joining the show. Uh, I wanted to thank you for having me on today. Really appreciate everyone's input who was watching. I hope we brought some value to you today. If you have any questions, hit me up on the various things Jeremy is scrolling at the bottom. I did want to give a special shout out to my friend Mark uh, from Florida. He drove from Boca. He met me in Tampa. We then drove back to Boca. He drove me to Miami. And not only did he do driving, but, you know, he was like, when we were in the middle of the appraisal fair on Saturday and someone was like waiting and they were itching to talk to me, he would go up to them and say, hey, how you doing with a bright smile? What brought you down? Can I get you a drink? 
So he did a great job. Really appreciate it. And um, if anyone wants any questions in the future about, you know, preparing for a buy trip or, you know, wants any tips, drop me a line. I'd be happy to help. Right on. Appreciate it. Yeah. And hey, Mark sounds like a great guy. So shout out to Mark from me too. That's awesome. All right. All right, guys. Listen, everybody who's in the chat, thank you so much for, for joining us Friday. This was fun late and I'm glad we did it. It's been really relaxing, a very enjoyable show to do tonight. So uh, thanks for popping on and uh, hang tight one sec, Layton. Everyone else, we're going we're gonna to end this right now. I'm going to hit end broadcast and we'll see you all uh, tomorrow night. I've got um, uh, Sasha P cards coming on tomorrow night. He's got an amazing vintage collection, basketball, and uh, an interesting story. So join us tomorrow night, eight, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern. And then Sunday night, I'll be back with Josh Madigan from the Hockey Cards Gong Show as we cover the hockey items on the PWCC Weekly. Uh, TB Shale very quickly says, late next time in Tampa, roll to the Marriott Waters. We'll buy you a drink from my side of the bar. Very cool. Appreciate Maybe that. Bartender right here. And Nick Chen, thank you for the comment. You got it in just in time. That's it, everybody. We will see you all hopefully tomorrow and or Sunday. Have a great rest of your night.